University presents Backbone of the Band, the drummer. Why would anyone want to be a drummer? Drumming has a super long history. It was the first instrument. Is it primal that we need to hear it? Or is it primal for some to have to play? Can it heal your soul? Or is it just the beat that holds the music together? Listen to Deborah Fingston and Michael Bruce Thompson put their heads together and beat out, yes, I said it, the answers. Welcome to episode two, a brief history and more. There are a lot of podcasts out there and you chose Penny University. So I want to make sure I say thanks. And it's even written in my little notes, my outline, a smiley face, because it really matters that you guys listen to us. And um, I, I want to make sure I say thank you. Penny University has some other series out there. Um, so if you want to dig into some other interesting topics, please check those out. You can go to the Anchor site and see the um, seasons and the series that are there. You can go to the Facebook. Facebook page and check it out there. But I know you have listened in, you've plugged those earbuds in to listen to Backbone of the Band, The Drummer. So let's dive in. My name is Deborah Fingston. This is the fourth series that I've worked on and I'm loving every minute of it. I still love it. Um, and I love this subject matter. Not only do I love the subject matter and it is a huge rabbit hole to go down, but I love my co-host, actually expert. I Just before we went on, I even said, what am I doing? I am taking notes from you. I have Michael Bruce Thompson, and he's super cool. I'm going to use that. That is a completely 70s high school term. I He's an expert uh, percussionist. He is just wonderful. We sit and talk. We've been talking before we even went um, it started recording for, it seems like over an hour and yeah. I could probably talk to him forever. Maybe we should just have a podcast, Michael Bruce Thompson. No, I don't think so. And we'll do it. So say hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. Why are you an expert? Give us a little bit of your, cause this is only the second um, episode. So we want to see some of your qualifications. Oh, so man. briefly share. I don't, I mean, expert is such like a loaded word. I don't, it is um, I, I guess I'd be qualified to talk about drums because I've been playing drums since um, being a little kid. Um, I've played percussion, so I've played timpani, I've played marimba, I've played, uh, you know, um, quads, snare drum, you name it, triangle, crash cymbals. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done it all through both marching, symphonic band, jazz bands, and rock bands. So. Yeah. And you record in the studio, you've done yeah. live stage. Yeah. It, uh, you're the real deal, Michael. Accept that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just take that. Um, yes, we're here in my living room. So if you hear my, I'm in the squeaky chair. So I apologize for that. Again, you might hear Dottie the dog uh, snoring. Dottie doesn't do a whole much else. And we are in a heat wave. Yeah. 
So I have all the sliders open. I have no air conditioning. Yes, I'm an idiot. Uh, but I love my house. So we are sitting at my table in my living room and we are talking about a subject that I am becoming more fascinated with every time I do a little bit of research, every time I talk to Michael. So let's get there. In our last episode, we really got to know who you are um, and how uh, we got going here. So we talked um, about some people, we talked about some music, um, and for any of our listeners, those people and those musics, uh, music, I put those links on. So if they, again, go to the Anchor or our Facebook page, they'll be able to go to those links and see those people that touched you or helped you or under, you know yeah. made you understand percussion more. But also what I really love about episode one is the music that starts the episode out and is our breaks and takes the episode out is yours. Ah, yeah. So it makes it a little bit more of a multimedia thing, I guess. But um, that's one of the benefits of playing drums is that uh, it's an audio thing. And so it, it, it lends itself to the podcast world, I think. Yes. And so even here on episode two, it's, an, it's all the music is from... Mike, and you will be able to hear it all. So at the end of each episode, I'll, I let the songs play out. (laughs) So, um, so just so you're aware that the music you hear is from Michael. Today, we're going to talk a little bit, a brief history, because it is ancient about drums and how it's the first instrument. Um, so geez, starting at the beginning, 500 BC. Yeah. They use drums for signals. Yeah. I believe it's uh, like Asian, the Asian cultures were the ones that really um, did that. The Japanese uh, drums and stuff. And, and I don't know if anyone's ever seen those drummers, but they have these gigantic drums and they just go and they bang them with these, these big sticks. But the thing with those drums is they break them down and build them for every single show they do when they go between... Um, different venues and mm-hmm. that's a huge process mm-hmm. it's, it's gigantic wasn't there some there was some type of musical um stomp maybe or yeah, something stomp. that that just was drums i always thought because they played trash cans and yeah. everything i always thought that would be so, so cool to I, see yeah i got to see that uh that was, oh. that was great so they would use uh like brooms for part of the rhythm they'd have trash can lids and they'd bang on on uh sides of like metal pipes and things like that and the, the other one's blue man group oh really yeah, yeah oh okay all all crazy uh drummers dressed in blue and that's all they do because they just they just bang on things and they make uh melodic sounds with the drums it's awesome so it really is the first almost the first form of communication yeah in yeah. a in a i mean it really is if you think about like the telegraph machine stuff yeah. i mean they were using percussion to to relay information over telephone wires or, or telegraph wires. So, I mean, that was probably the earliest form of modern communication, I think. I never even thought about it, but it's yeah. so true. Uh, what, in, in my research, the very first drum ever discovered was alligator skins in China. Yeah. That's... that's I didn't pretty, even know they had alligators in China. I didn't, I didn't know that either. <laughs> But I'm trusting, I'm trusting the website and I'll, I'll do a shout out to one of what I thought was a really good, quick history of the drums was 
History of the Drums. So there's yeah, a shout out, yeah, historyofthedrums.com. Yeah. So woohoo, you guys did great. I want to kind of get quickly because in in reality, there's a there's a time where drumming starts. So in the 1600s, we have the snare drum yeah, and yeah. drumsticks. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, that was like during the, um, you know, the, the beginning of those wars, the, I think probably the, the British Empire or mm-hmm. probably had those. Yeah. I'm not sure the exact history of it, but I know the military used them. They used them to keep their soldiers to, to uh, march in time and, and to, to keep them um, on in sync, you know, yeah. you know, on a task. Let's yeah. go left, left, left. And, you know, yeah. they'd be hitting the drum and um, they also use it to uh, as they're going into battle to kind of pump up their guys. Mm-hmm. That and opium, right? Yeah. yeah I guess so. <laughs> that maybe is some flutes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. know. Um, then the foot pedals came in, in the late 1800s, 1890. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to get you to, the 1920s. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to do a huge leap. Let's just jump over to there. The 1920s is when it really took off. Yeah, like the modern drum set really happened. I think it was um, William Ludwig was the first to kind of put it together. And uh, it allowed um, four-way independence with playing music, you know. Having what a, do you mean four-way independence? I don't know what that using means. Using all your limbs, using your, oh. your left and right uh, legs and left and right arms to... Um, to make a rhythm that flowed together and okay. so um to incorporate uh like a hi-hat which is the the two symbols that that sit typically on a left-hand side if you're a right-handed drummer um it's what opens and closes mm-hmm. and um a lot of dance music is written behind with the hi-hat beats going and stuff like that but um I think that's where things kind of opened up for the, the drumming world, especially with like the Dixieland jazz stuff and the, the Texas swing and all of, all of that music back um, in the in the South there. Right. That's really well, where... You told me that the drums weren't even out on the stage. Yeah. So um, I took a history of rock and roll class. Um, actually, my wife took the class and I just sat in the class because I wanted to hear what this guy was saying. <laughs> and... Uh, he was explaining to the class that the first time that drums were brought outside of the curtain, typically during the vaudeville years, it was um, everything was in an orchestra pit or behind a curtain and the performers would be out doing their thing. And so um, it translated in, I think the audience wanted to kind of see the mechanics of how everything started to work. And so they started bringing that out on stage. And they wanted to see Oz behind the curtain. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm sure I, I would have loved to have been in the audience that first time seeing a, a drummer sitting behind a drum set. Probably just incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, then I read that it was really the 1960s. The drum set that I picture in my head you're thinking of like that, what they would call a trap kit, like a, okay. like something that um, Ringo Starr would play. Oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. just a, a basic four-piece drum set. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, Gene Krupa, I think, was probably, back in the 40s was really when the drums really started taking Okay. Over, at least for me. Right. Was, you know, okay, 1940s. Um, with Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich and... Um, 
and 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 those guys. So, I mean, they they're still incredible to this day. You can watch their videos on YouTube, and I'm still blown away with how fast Buddy Rich was as a drummer. Mm-hmm. Just just insanely fast and and amazing, amazing. But um, those guys, um, they took it to the next level. Yeah, and that's where the, that they brought that style into the '60s, and that's what allowed that whole era of music to really uh, take off. And you get into um, you know like John Bonham and the Led Zeppelin stuff towards the end of this, the late '60s and the early '70s, and you start seeing drum sets become bigger and bigger and more cymbals and more drums and um, and you know I find this crazy. Um, I'm just digging it so much because I'm a 60s, 70s girl. Mm-hmm. And it's, whoa, yeah. I, the music I was experiencing was the explosion of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm either, dang, I'm freaking old, or, <laughs> or. You're part of the I, revolution. Yeah, I'm yeah. just, yay. <laughs> I wish I could have seen it. I mean, um, one of my favorite drummers is a guy named Louis Belson, and he was popular for. You said Louis Belson. Louis Belson. A Louis, okay. Yeah, and uh, he he was a jazz drummer, and he pretty much invented the double bass drum, like the two bass drums. He put another bass drum with, and he used his, his two feet to use it as. Uh, Holy moly! Yeah. And I got to see him perform back when he was probably in his 80s when he was still playing. Right. Still rocking out, but just just an incredible uh, guy. And I, when I got to meet him, he's one of the sweetest people in the world, too. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. Uh, um, so we have kind of this blossoming of music that drums drive. Yeah. And... Two other, and then we'll get rid of these year things um, that came out and kind of I threw in my notes um, was when um, drum sets kind of went electric. Yeah. So, and you felt it was somebody a little different than a couple of the notes were. So, well, I mean, with with electric drum sets, um, like if they were playing it as electric drum sets, like as like you're hitting it with a stick. Right. Um, that, that was cool. That got really popular in the late 70s and early 80s. And you can hear it throughout all the dance music, the new wave dance music and stuff. Right. But um, a lot of times, too, when you talk about electronic drums with the with the drummer, it's kind of taboo because it's a, oh, you used a drum machine on that. You used a mm-hmm. little 808. You used, you know, some sort of uh, metronome and just kind of took away the job of the drummer, essentially. Yeah, that... I didn't think about that until you just brought it up right now. That's, I, it's true, yeah. right? A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of records are actually um, recorded with uh, drum machines and stuff. Like, for example, uh, Hysteria by Death Leopard. Uh-huh. The drummer lost his arm. Um, and he still, he still would play with them. But um, there's tracks out there where you can hear just the individual drum tracks. And it is just a drum machine. And they just put the right processing stuff on there, and people would never realize it. But what you're really listening to is a drum machine. You're not listening to a real drummer. Um, this might be a, a, a little off track here, but I really, for me, um, and it's not 100% across the board, so no hate mail. 
I really felt that when electronic anything came in, that's when we lost some incredible music. Yeah, yeah. You know, and incredible singers. I remember one time I was, I, I was, um, I was with my grandchildren. We were driving around Nashville, and a George Michael song came on, mm-hmm. and I love singing. I loved singing to him. He yeah. had an incredible freaking voice. Yeah. And one of my granddaughters said, wow, that guy can really sing. And I thought, yeah, that's back when you had to sing. Yeah. You know, you didn't. I hear some musicians now, and I used to go to concerts all the time, especially in the 70s, early 80s. I worked for a ticket scalper in Los Angeles, oh, which cool. was yeah. a blast. And yeah. he would pay us in concert tickets. And some cannot sing or play live. Yeah. They just can't. Yeah. But in a studio with all of the, you know, adjusting, they sound great. Mm -hmm. And I think, boy, we really lost. Where are those fantastic musicians that played? And here you have a drum machine. Well, yeah, you know, we did lose drummers. Well, what it did is it it made um, some of the producers wanted stuff so perfect that they didn't want it to fall off of, of the metronome. They didn't want it to fall off the click track. But that kind of took away some of the feeling and the push mm-hmm. and the pull of the music that everybody was so into um, up until, I would say, you know, the, the new wave uh, era of music. You know, luckily the punk rock world was still going on and the reggae world was still going mm-hmm. on during that time. And, and, the, and the metal was really starting to take off. But all the polished music that was selling all the big numbers, it was, it was all somewhat fake it was almost like they're karaoke machine like a laugh track yeah a, i mean you can certainly tell a show when yeah. they've got people really laughing or if it's the laugh track yeah i mean the last of like the those guys like uh, jeff Picaro, the drummer of toto uh, he played drums for boss gags he played drums for michael jackson he played drums for michael mcdonald i mean just go down the list and the guy to this day, I think they just did a, some sort of scientific study about the, the way he breaks up his patterns and stuff. And it's, you can't, you can't copy that with the machine. There's no way to do it. Right. There's no way to do it. And that guy is incredible. Just absolutely incredible. Right. And then we have McDonald who has one of the best blues voices ever. Oh yeah. My, ever. my wife hates Michael McDonald. You got to, how can she hate? I don't know. Uh, I love Michael McDonald. I do too. And she, uh. she actually bought me tickets to go see the Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald. And they were oh. supposed to play in October, but well, since it's has it been well since coronavirus, it's going to happen next October, hopefully. Mm. So, so, you know, again, another little sidetrack. I the one person I want to see live is John Mayer. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to see him live. Yeah. He. I don't know if it's. One of my best concerts was uh, James Taylor. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't fart around. He stands up there and plays. Mm-hmm. It's not about it's about his music, and he's such such a writer, and his music history is so in depth. He's yeah. got all of this stuff yeah. to pull. But I kind of just have this feeling that John Mayer's the same way. Um, but oh my! Well, if she doesn't want to go, you know, you, yeah. take an old lady. I'm I'm right here. I'm right here. You know what? The, my wife loves me so much that she's like, I want to buy these tickets to take, you know, Aww. she'll sit through, uh, I guess what she doesn't like about his voice. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, 
the last concert I went to was Ted Nugent. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> Andrew, my son, loved Ted, called him Uncle Ted. Everybody called him Uncle Ted. He's a, he was a, nice, he's a sweet guy. Um, when I saw Ted Nugent in the 70s, he was a crazy freaking man. Yeah. Long, huge hair, yeah. you know, raccoon tail attached to his back of his pants. And that, at that concert, I was out that afternoon trying to find pot and yeah. booze yeah. to sneak into the concert. When we saw him here a couple of years ago, this is how old I'm getting. Where's earplugs and aspirin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I should have found pot and booze. I don't do that much anymore, but... Um, you know, here I am trying to find earplugs yeah. for the concerts. Yeah, I still wear earplugs all the time. Oh, I bet. It's do you even that... have hearing? Yeah, I do. I, I take I've taken care of my ears since since the beginning. So um, I've always worn earplugs. I, I mean, I have ringing in my ears since uh, uh, I had one crazy back surgery that kind of gave me a bunch of ringing in my ears because of spinal fluid leaks and stuff right. like that. But um, it's it's the one thing that hopefully I will I'll always protect my hearing. I always wear hearing protection. And and any drummer that's listening to this or, or even going to rock concerts, just put it in. You'll within a few minutes you'll you'll forget you even have your plugs in and everything will sound fine. So well how much of the drums do you feel through your body as opposed to hearing through your ears? Um, that's a good question. Because it seems very visceral to me. So um, there, there was a, a time period where I had what they called the butt thumper, and basically, <laughs> when you're playing on a big stage and you don't, your monitors, um, at least for me, whenever I would have my monitor set, I'd want the kick drum is the loudest. I wanted to be able to feel that kick drum, mm-hmm. and that I thought that was important to be able to kind of feel your drums allows you to. Um, kind of dig into them a little bit more mm-hmm. but I had this 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 uh thing that was a kind of a speaker and it would attach to my drum throne and it would go through an amp and every time I'd hit my kick drum it would shake my seat and so um it, I think it's important to be able to feel it definitely mm-hmm. it's definitely an important thing because when, when you're playing on a, on a big stage and you can't feel yourself or even hear yourself it gets lost well the one comment I heard about you um, was from another podcast, and it was that you watch what makes you an incredible drummer is that you watch the singer's face. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? What do you? What were they in reference to? So, um, uh, the way I approach stuff is that um, as a drummer, my job is to make people dance. But I'm also supporting the lead singer. People are coming to concerts to sing the songs with the lead singer. Mm-hmm. And so if the drummer's driving its own train and not watching somebody like John Mayer and looking at his expressions and, and you can tell when somebody wants to tone down something or if they get exciting, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of have those visual cues along with the audio cues to... Uh, drive the music mm-hmm. that's that's why I, I watch the, the singers quite a bit because ultimately you know I'm keeping the tempo and stuff but the singer is the one that's that's uh guiding everybody mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. well 
I loved going off on that. Um, final year that I even want to bring up when we're talking about this brief history um, was not around 19, early 1980s, 1982, the blast beat. Yeah. What the heck is that? That's basically playing as fast as you can is really what it is. But there is a lot of technique to it. Um, there's a lot of uh, moving parts going on because you're moving your body as fast as you can. You mm -hmm. know, um, a lot of the blast beat stuff like back then was um, kind of the old school punk rock mm -hmm. and metal stuff. And uh, back then you want to be able to play as loud and as fast and as offensive as possible. I mean, that was kind of part of the whole scene back then. So um, the blast beat would um, get people to slam dance. That's mm -hmm. really what it was. When um, you played me a little piece of it, when I heard it what, it, what popped into my head was, you know, before the camera, you had beautiful artwork that was realism. Mm -hmm. And then after the camera, that's when modern art just exploded. Yeah, yeah. Because we didn't need this realism as much. Yeah. We now have all of these great drummers. We have electronic going. We have all this. What is that next, like, awesome, bizarre step? And so now it's like taking it to the limit? Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, I think the next step with it is like almost extreme sports. It's like playing as fast as you can, mm -hmm. um, at least for a lot of the metal stuff. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of uh, the music that I listen to, it, the next level for me is the time signatures. It's just like playing really bizarre out of the normal time signatures that even listening to it hurts your brain. So mm -hmm. I think that's definitely the, the next thing. But the problem is, is that most people want to be able to dance and groove to something, you know, yeah. and you can't, you can't groove to something that's in, you know, seven, eight that changes to 11, four, four. Okay. Seven, eight, 11, four. Give me. So, so um, it, it's all based off of a uh, time signature. So okay. like uh, the bottom numbers is based off like the eight, no, like a seven, eight. So there'd be seven, seven quarter notes and it'd be subdivided by uh, an eighth note. Or if there'd be 11, four, it'd be a quarter note, which mm -hmm. would just be one, two, three, four. But you count that out to 11, you figure out how to, most music is written in four, four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or six, eight. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I don't know about anybody. Google it. If, okay, if I was going to say, somebody, somebody please Google, because that yeah. did go over my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of math involved with it. But yeah, just um, just Google time signatures. and Time signatures, Google, okay. There'll be a good explanation. Okay, I'm going to do that. So next episode, yeah. I'm going to say, oh, okay, I know what 4-4 yeah. four, four is. I know what's going on. So um, uh, do you think we covered that history? I mean, or what What would you like to talk about? What what? Give me something. I think a lot of it, um, the, with the history, it's it's really, you know, America, I think, really was the forefront of, of a lot of that music, you know, especially um, with, the, with the jazz and stuff back in the, the 30s and the 40s and maybe even the 20s too. But um, that is really where everything, I thought, changed. And then we mm -hmm. had people emulating it over and... Um, you know, in England and stuff, doing the, uh, like the Beatles and, right. and the Yardbirds and those guys. And then you have people that are like, um, like Bob Marley that, that took 
a version of that and um, they put the downbeat on three, which is called a drop three. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it kind of, I don't know, just kind of opened it up to the world. So, you know, the one American music is jazz. Yeah. You know, jazz is our bourbon. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, for me, I love uh, Latin music and a lot of like bossa novas and stuff and Brazilian mm-hmm. and, and Afro-Cuban and um, all that type of music, I think, is is the best because it's really percussion driven, really more than anything. Right. Like shakers and bongos and congas and, mm-hmm. and just all kinds of different things going on with it. So, all different sounds. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And then, you know, it's it's a bunch of different drummers playing together, too. Like mm-hmm. an ensemble of drummers supporting, you know, um, you know, trumpet players, piano players, and bass players, and, and singers, and it, yeah. Nice. It's really cool. I, I love our brief history. <laughs> yeah. I do. It makes me want to know yeah. more and more. Yeah. Okay. Jazz is definitely, like, where my background comes from, though, and that's where I think is the, the foundation of, of most modern music would probably come from jazz. Yeah. And jazz really took off. Yeah. And then we've got, from jazz, we have all of these other offshoots. Yeah, yeah, blues. Um, and blues turned into the rock, and rock turned into metal, and metal turned into punk rock, and turned into death metal or whatever you want to call it you know but it also you know broke off into branches of ballads and um and waltzes and all these different things and broadway hits broadway hits yeah here we go yeah actually i just read this article on um uh the alexander uh the the play that uh that they're streaming on disney plus and um they have two drummers on there and the, the drummer is watching uh, the conductor through a TV screen and they have to follow the tempos. The tempos are going up and down constantly. And those guys have to be perfect every wow. single night. And it is it's incredible. It's really cool. If you ever have the chance to listen to The Outlanders? Alexander. Oh, oh, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I that think, I think it's called I Hamilton. think I've heard that. I think it's called Hamilton. I yeah, it is. That's because you're, you're you're hip and you're like yeah, sure. I am such a cool cat. Alex. I don't even have to drop. Yeah, this is Alex. I'm just gonna drop that. You're gonna watch the Broadway musical Alex. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Yeah. Let's. I think that's a great mid okay. mid spot. We got the mid spot. Okay. Boom. tons of podcasts out there. You have options. Penny University is truly a podcast with value, and we strive to share great true stories. Some are plain fun, some might bring a tear to your eye, and maybe even make you a little angry. Listen to them all. Please listen, like, and share. Head over to our Facebook page, see who we are. And thanks for listening. You are listening to Penny University, a podcast with value. We hope you are finding this presentation entertaining. If you would like to share your two cents, please contact either Deborah or Michael at pennyuniversity at protonmail.com. 
That's Penny University, all one word, at protonmail.com. Thank you. And now back to the podcast. talked about brief history. We know what's going on. The 70s, 60s and 70s were the coolest. Uh, um, I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, Don't argue with me. If you want to argue or if you even want to communicate with us, you know, uh, send us an email, send us a question, pennyuniversity at protonmail.com or, you know, send a message through the Facebook page, Penny University Facebook page. I will make sure that Michael gets it and he can answer it. Or, um, I don't know, maybe it's a question for me. Yeah, I could try to answer I, it. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what people would be asking for me when I've got brilliance across my table for me. What is your favorite drum rhythm? You know, I, I was listening the other day. I pulled up, you know, Spotify in uh-huh. my shower and put my favorite musics on. And, you know, a song came up, Led Zeppelin, Whole Lot of Love. And you can't beat Robert Plant's voice, amazing voice. And that's usually where I'm heading, where I did yeah. it. But all of a sudden, I hear this drum riff. John Bonham, yeah. And I think, oh, I bet you Michael loves this one. Yeah. And then my mind just started rolling. Well, what would he, what would his be? What would... <laughs> and so what is yours? So mine, I mean, I love John Bonham. John Bonham had his own distinct style of musical drumming like if you, you you can hear any Led Zeppelin song or you can hear John Bonham beat and know you could just the sound of his drums were very specific to him because the way he played and, and how he had it set up do you think his son picked those genetics up or not oh yeah for sure okay for sure yeah I mean and I'm sure with his son I believe his name's Jason Bonham yeah and uh you know he he's growing up around like Uncle Keith Moon and yeah. Uncle Ringo Starr yeah. and like all these, you know, great players. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, it's uh, tell us, Uncle Michael. It's Steve Gadd, um, who who it is, and uh, he played the drums on um, a song called Asia by Steely Dan, and it's about mm, eight minute song, mm-hmm. I guess, but it. It covers every genre of music from Latin to rock to jazz to all these different things. And it's the one song that I think is the most complete as far as as drumming goes. And, yeah. the, and the story behind it is even more incredible is the fact that um, Steve Gadd, who's played drums for Eric Clapton and um, Paul Simon and all these amazing people i mean he did the drum beat for 50 ways to leave your lover and that is an incredible drum beat Mm -hmm. um he uh he did it in one take he just sight read the whole entire for asia for asia just did it in one take that was it and they're like that's perfect and when you listen to it you're just like holy cow i can't believe that's one take yeah yeah well uh, when we were building the notes and kind of the outline for this episode and you said Steely Dan, I was like, oh, yeah. I love them. I have the Steely Dan, you know, radio station yeah. on on my, you know, TV. I play it all of the time. 
and um, they're they're just a beautiful musicians band. Yeah, yeah. Their first drummer, you know, like you were saying. Yes, good old Chevy Chevy Chase. Yeah, but he left. Yep, he did. <laughs> greener pastures yes. or whatever. Yes. But I mean, the drummer right now for uh, Steely Dan is a guy named Keith Carlock, and he's played drums for John Mayer and a bunch of dudes. And he he's incredible. He's just an incredible drummer. So they, you know, are they still playing? Because I... Yeah. So um, after uh, Walter Becker passed away a few years ago... Um, Has it been that long? Yeah. Wow. I got to actually, I got to see him as the band together in, in Vegas, which was really cool. And um, uh, I think it was one of the last shows that he played. But um, I think they're still... They're still all playing. Yeah. Donald Fagan's got his band, basically. Well, their music is amazing. Yeah. So if any of you guys don't know Steely Dan, you have to. It's one of those, you know, everybody knows the big ones, Zeppelin, yeah. you know, everybody. But when you go down, there are some of these others that you, you have to experience. That. Yeah. It, and they're kind of like pop, jazz, rock. I don't, I yeah. don't know how you, how you even classify their style of music. Yeah. But I love it. Yep. I, I used to do one. And Mike McDonald sings. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike McDonald, it's a shout out. If you want, you know, to meet one of your number one fans, please give us yeah. a call. Um, but I always used to listen to them. And um, Supertramp yeah. was also a, a big, on a big roundabout. My very first album I ever purchased was Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, yeah. With my own money. Wow. You know, so, um, and I used to just play that vinyl until it was... And Jeff Picaro actually played on that record, too. The drummer of Toto played on... Really? I think he played uh, Mother. I think he played one of the tracks on there, yeah. Wow. Wow. That was one of my first vinyls, my first A-track, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Oh, wow. Was one of my first A-tracks. And then Tony Tennille sang, sang up with Pink Floyd, too. No way. Shout out to Tony, yeah. No way. And Tony Tennille now lives in Prescott. Yeah. But no awesome way. She's a, she's a great lady, yeah. Oh, okay. So here we are talking about drummers and playing and, and growth and knowing. How do, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of great um, drummers that come out of colleges and universities, great music programs. Um, but you know, in the seventies and I, and it could be now a kid's party every Friday and Saturday night, you would hit parties and there would be, you know, bands playing in the backyard of yeah. people's houses. Yeah. I mean, I saw, um, Van Halen, in yeah. a backyard yeah. playing, right? Yeah. They were a no, but they were yeah. a nobody band um, at that time. Yeah. How do they do it now? How how do drummers find their spot? Is it still happening? I think so. I think I mean I haven't, at least in Prescott, I have not heard of uh, any bands like playing in backyards. But um, I mean, I played in backyards before, and here in Prescott, back in. You know, yeah. I guess it was mid '90s or whatever. But um, I think I think a lot of them is just um, they just 
practice by themselves. Right. I, mean, I think. I think that it can't be just bars. No. I mean, I, it, that can't be the scene, is it? No. Um, not really. I mean, there's some really good musicians coming out of this town, and a lot of them play at the Raven. You know, it's, uh-huh. an, it's an all ages venue, and there's some there's some amazing young musicians that are that are just out there rocking. So if we drive you to Prescott, Prescott, Arizona. Um, one of the series for Penny University was uh, Tattoos, Moments on the Skin, which was yeah. with Tony Carey, Hold Fast Tattoo, Prescott, Arizona. A lot of fantastic people come out of Prescott, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure people could say that about their town. But if you do show up here, the Raven is a coffee house, restaurant, beer and wine, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have musicians that just play. Yeah. Yeah. And they... they um... They have all types of music that comes through there, actually. Uh-huh. So a lot different than something you'd see at like a country honky-tonk place or like a, a blues bar or something right. like that. So I, I don't, I can't think of a blues bar right off the top of my head here. We do, of course, have... Like the Birdcage. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, or maybe even the Windsock, too, might be a blues bar. Yeah. But they kind of do, they kind of have their own style of... Uh, they do country and blues and stuff. But, I mean, nothing right now just because right. everything's shut down. Yeah, everything's – so where where would you – I mean, just play in your garage, send an audio tape to who? I mean, how, yeah. do, how do drummers get out there? So for me, I got out there um, through, like, band, like high school band and stuff. And um, I would – meet people that were kind of like-minded same kind of music I was into and that's how my band started was from being in high school you know um, and your first band's name my very first band's name was Viper oh this okay was back when I was in the sixth grade so yeah, we played one concert and it was with the we played like a boy scout uh like quarter of honor thing and it was that's terrible. awesome <laughs> that, that is awesome <laughs> yeah okay so uh but um yeah, it was just uh, that. That was that was the place to to, to to meet other musicians. At least for me, was in the marching band and right. the jazz band. So, and the, one of the things you brought up in episode one was too is music store, the drum shop. Yeah, the drum shop. Here. So, you know, music stores. I would guess. Yeah. So, like when the, when there were music stores around town, there'd always be like a, a wanted one ad board, and they would put looking for a drummer. Now yeah. we use Facebook or Craigslist or, you know, whatever social media there is right. to find another drummer and try people out and stuff. But before it was just um, kind of word of mouth and, and just jamming. Do you ever take somebody under your wing, is, like a journeyman apprenticeship? Does that happen in the music community? Yeah, anymore? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, one of my closest friends uh, is a drummer mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's a he's a metal drummer, and it's it's weird when drummers have their own kind of take on things. And I've I've always had uh, really close friends that are drummers, mm-hmm. so it's been um, I don't know the the drummers can get a few sometimes. Not kidding. Yeah, no, I, I believe it. You yeah. uh, six flat back surgeries? No. Yeah, four. Four. four? Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, no more. I don't yeah. want you to get up to six. <laughs> oh, it could be six. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it is six, actually. You're right. Hey, it is six. See, yeah, I know yeah. your bio better than it you. It was four last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, you know, psychologically speaking, if you um, do a historical, if you agree with it or believe it, eh, back when we were one continent yeah. and everybody came from certain tribes, uh, if you ever walk up to somebody and you think genetically, like all of a sudden you just, I like them. You yeah. just feel that drive that you, that somewhere back in the genes, somewhere back in their history, they were from that tribe. Same works. So if you ever walked up to somebody, you don't even know why. You don't even know them, but you can't stand them. There's mm -hmm. just something they do that just irks you. A warring tribe. Yeah. So, you know, maybe your tribe is where we get our drummers. Yeah, maybe. You, you know? never know. Yeah. And Back in Pangea when it was just one place yeah. we all came from the drum section. Yeah. You never yeah. know. I, you know, I don't know. Or, or, okay, let's go back spiritually and say, you know, maybe Adam, hey, God, l listen to this yeah, rhythm. Maybe, maybe he was a drummer. You or never know. Eve. Please shout out yeah. to a female. There yeah. is. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that. Yeah, I would, I would say Eve would be probably a better drummer than Adam would be. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll agree with that. <laughs> so next episode, in episode three, we're going to be kind of talking about how drums heal because yeah. there is a healing component to them. And I'm excited to move into that aspect. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely, uh, you get a release, you get, uh, you know, serotonin boosts when you're playing, um, you get out energy and frustration. So, yeah. And you've helped with that. And we're, we're hopefully going to talk to someone that is one of your students. Kind of, yeah. And um, that it's more um, healing for him. Yeah. And I've been through a healing drum thing, and so uh, it'll be great to talk about that. Final thoughts on Brief History and Michael Bruce Thompson. Oh, um, go buy some drums. That's that's my final thought. Go buy a hand drum. Go, go, go bang on something because ultimately you're going to feel better after you get done doing it. I, th I think I just need to go get some sticks and hit, start hitting a trash can. Yeah. Or, or a practice pad or oh! a couch. Yeah. The practice pad. You hate it so much, but you'll Not, get all your aggression out. That's it. right. Not your brothers or sisters' heads, kids. Or, uh, yeah. That, you might get a really interesting sound, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely <laughs> would. Probably a thumping type sound. Okay. If you have any comments, questions, um, if you are, you know, Michael McDonald, uh, get a hold of us. We would love to talk with you, um, answer your questions, help you just communicate. Thank you for listening to episode two, uh, Backbone of the Band, A Drummer, Brief History, and more. And thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Penny University. Please join us again for the next episode in this fun series. You can also head over to our Facebook page. Please like us and share with your friends and family. We hope you found us a podcast with value. Until next episode, be strong, 
wise, and safe. Wow. 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 Wow.